0: Hey there! Welcome to The Career Prescription. I'm your host, Marjorie Stiegler. This podcast is all about the important stuff they don't teach you in medical school, about how to treat your career like the business it really is, and how to be strategic about your success. I'll show you how to use modern strategies to get ahead, create your own path, and do more of what you love. Every episode is inspired by questions from listeners just like you, so be sure to subscribe and, of course, send me those questions so I can use them on a future episode. So you don't miss anything, be sure to always check the show notes on my website. Are you ready? Let's get into it. Today on the podcast, we're talking about sort of the idea of choices and power and powerlessness in the era of COVID. This is something that's really been sort of, I think, a very hot topic, and I'm hopeful that by the time this podcast airs in a couple days, um, maybe we will have made some serious progress in this space, because I know day by day by day, we're getting new guidance, new guidelines, and people are making different types of choices. Um, But just to bring everyone up to speed, you know, today is the day that the CDC said, that uh, they've changed their stance from, if you have a known exposure to COVID that you should quarantine for 14 days. They've gone from that to saying, if you have a known exposure, it's okay to work so long as you have a mask, if you're a healthcare professional, a face mask. Importantly, not a fancy face mask, not any specific kind of face mask, but just a face mask. And then in that same sentence, basically, or that same briefing, acknowledging that we have a serious shortage of face masks. And so uh, therefore recommending even something like a simple bandana, which of course has not been demonstrated or approved as uh, any type of of personal protective equipment in the medical sense. So that's really quite drastic. And I think it's worth um, identifying a couple things about that, because this is happening because um, or at least at the same time, as a lot of healthcare professionals are experiencing a tremendous amount of fear and anxiety about going to work, about um, being exposed, about transmitting to their loved ones, and they're worried about contributing to the public health crisis in general, um, in addition to, of course, thinking about their own families. And one of the things that's, I think, worth highlighting about this is the reason that the CDC has loosened these guidelines is not because they don't think it's necessary anymore, but because we don't have enough. They've changed their language to say that now um, you you can be allowed to work, I think. I think um, At least that was the way it was covered in the news. You could be allowed to work, even if you were positive, so long as you had a mask. And so, of course, what that does is that allows, if, if that's a word I can use in air quotes on a podcast, that allows your employer or your partners or whomever else you work with to sort of justify continuing business as usual or at least continuing some amount of business with you part of it, even if you have... A particular reason to be concerned about your exposure and of course we know in many states including in my own there is now documented community spread so you really don't need to have had any kind of particular history or exposure um, in order to be at risk right a person can be totally well appearing and still be contagious um, and perhaps never even get sick if we've learned something from the sports teams that have tested their entire groups um, despite symptoms or regardless of symptoms. So we know there's a lot of fear. I mean, today I saw a couple of posts. I've been kind of scanning through, and I've seen live live video posts of media coverage from some folks that we know through some of our physician Facebook groups on CBS and on other major media, really pointing out that you know we will will have it, we'll spread it, we'll do that even before we have it. I think KK Moody said that. Um, a handful of other people getting really tearful while they were describing that sort of internal conflict that they have between wanting to do their best for patients, show up and support their colleagues and sort of live up to what they feel they should do as physicians. And then the, uh, the, the converse side, which is that they might bring that home to their kids or to their elderly parents or to their spouses, um, and, and endangering their family members. So it it made me think of a few things. Um, and in particular, it made me think about that sort of balance of power and of choice, and and yesterday I was on um, Twitter doing a little bit of a live conversation about this same topic, and some folks were answering back with their comments saying that their employers had not given them a choice. Right, my employer will not let me take time off uh, if I wanted to take time off, and I thought that is something that's really worth flagging, and a lot of people are feeling um, pressure in that way right now, right? Because. Because we do feel a sort of obligation to call to duty, and we do want to take good care of patients, uh, but also nobody has given us a permission slip to make any other decision. So I just want to pause and throw out there. I am not recommending, by the way, I'm not recommending advocating or or anything like that that you guys stop going to work. I am grateful for the people who are on the front lines going in and seeing patients every single day and absolutely, uh, you know, commend that, and I'm not trying to talk anybody out of it. What I do want to do, though, is for for people who are feeling really fearful and are are dealing with this kind of thing, let's talk about a couple of truths. Whether your employer gives you permission or not, none of us have to do anything, right? You do not have to go to work. You can choose to go to work. And and when I say this, not only just in this circumstance, COVID, but but at retreats, you know, at the Transformed Retreat and at at other events, um, when we're talking about career decisions and priorities and values, people will often say, well, I have to do this, I have to do that. Um, I don't have a choice in the matter. And the reality is that you do. It's just, of course, and you probably know this already, that you have already done the sort of risk-benefit analysis and you're choosing to do it because, at least for you in your mind and in the moment, the apparent risk-benefit analysis for doing whatever it is that you have to do, that you're saying you have to do, is better. Then the risk-benefit analysis in your mind of choosing to not do it. So certainly, if you said, you know what, I'm not coming to work anymore until we have sufficient testing and sufficient personal protective equipment and sufficient policies or whatever it is that would make you feel like, you know, this that your fear was either um, mitigated as much as possible, right? I mean, that's, I think, the main thing, by the way. I should back up and say, we are pre-surge right now. I hope that by Tuesday when this goes live, that's still the case. But we're pre-surge. We do not have... ICU splitting uh, or overflowing and and OR events being split among patients and stuff, that's not where we are yet. I hope that we don't get there, but it's certainly not where we are right now. And so given that context, it's not like there's a patient abandonment issue. What there is, is an, a real opportunity to help influence the kinds of decisions that could be being made right now to mitigate risk in terms of elective procedures, policies, what kind of resources are needed, And this is a time where if you decided to make a a decision to not go to work, to do essentially elective cases or elective care uh, in order to sort of send that message that you're not going to endanger yourself, your family or the rest of the patients. I think that gets lost in this quite a bit. If you made your decision that you're not going to do that, certainly there are potentially negative consequences. I don't know if you could be fired. I'm I'm not really sure. I think it might depend on whether or not this might be like an unsafe law, like OSHA type thing. I'm not sure. But uh, it's possible, right? If you're not going to show up for work, then perhaps you lose your job. Um, If you're not going to show up for work, perhaps you become the catalyst that really changes things for the better and you are a thought leader. Perhaps you pay a super uh, stiff social penalty, which is I know what's in most people's minds, which is that my colleagues will all, you know, resent me or they won't understand Uh, They will say that I took the easy way out or whatever. We have all of this internal narrative of what we think we will be met with. um, And people will think that we've sort of failed. And then maybe you think you'll have failed in terms of what is expected of you as a duty. But in any case, you can decide that you aren't going to expose yourself to that risk. You can decide you aren't going to expose your family to that risk and you could decide that you aren't going to expose the rest of the patients and healthcare professionals to the enormous risk of the spread that happens when you have people working in a healthcare environment where there are where there is that community spread where there's asymptomatic folks coming in and contributing to the spread of this disease and where the healthcare professionals are too you know as much as people don't like to discuss this that that is is you A healthcare professional and the healthcare system in general making a health pandemic worse, making it worse. We're making it worse by going to work and agreeing to work under conditions that are unsafe and could be mitigated. I acknowledge that when there's a big, huge surge and you have these life-threatening conditions and everyone has the best protective equipment, that still risk is not gone, right? The risk is not gone. But there is a lot going on in the United States right now that is excessively risky, doesn't need to be that way, and different choices could be made. So that's one thing to kind of point out is you do have a choice. The other thing to point out is that the organizations that you work with have a choice, and they're making one. They are, and perhaps they will evolve their choices over a few days or weeks, but they have made, in many cases, the choice to continue doing this kind of elective work This kind of work without sufficient protective equipment where they are asking their clinicians or perhaps making them feel like they have to um, work in non necessary healthcare functions without the proper testing or protective equipment. They are making that choice. Why are they making it? It's obviously very complicated. And and number one, I don't know all the answers. And number two, I, I don't think I could have a short podcast that also brings into play you know, the sort of economic solvency of a healthcare system and how, of course, they have the people who are making these decisions have real um, tangible in- incentives, right? I mean, they have reasons for doing this. Is it ethical? Is it the right thing to do? No, right? Pro- at least I don't think so. But they have reasons, they have motivations, and they are making choices as well. So just in as much as they can choose to ask you to work without the proper protection and without sufficient testing and without insisting on that, because of course, they're the ones who have that stronger level of influence upwards. So to, to government and to other organizations, right, they are the ones who could make it more possible for you to have what you need to work in a risk mitigated situation. But they are making whatever choices they're making. And so you should also feel like you can make a choice. You do not need to feel like this is one-sided, like the healthcare system kind of trucks on as it does and you're the one who's chosen to step back if that's indeed what what you've chosen. So you can choose to advocate. You can choose what will hopefully become some thought leadership, even if it's initially unpopular or maybe it's always unpopular, but it could still be the right thing to do. You can also choose to just do whatever you're assigned regardless and while that may not help anything get better, Uh, that might be the right decision for you. And I think it is, it has been the right decision for the vast majority of people. Um, People are still showing up for work as healthcare professionals, despite really um, very valid concerns, not only for themselves, for their families, and for the overall spread and containment of the virus, which I think, you know, if nothing else, it's very easy for people, I think, uh, in the outside world to, or even for many of you listening, to think about this idea of, you know, what, what do we do if the doctors don't show up? as somehow being selfish. But uh, I mean, first of all, you have um, a responsibility to yourself and to your loved ones, to your family, and also to society. And so your decision, you know, to, to show up when you are not being supported, when things are not, are not being uh, managed appropriately, contributes to that. But I think it's important to not lose sight of the fact that Uh, This might be extremely selfless, right? This is a decision to stay home is a very strong, potentially very unpopular, potentially with a lot of consequence decision to make, uh, and in doing so really advocates for the necessary change to protect the health of everyone. And I have gotten some stories this week from a lot of folks, um, or maybe not a lot, but many more than I would have expected telling me that they've made the hard decision to simply not go to work anymore. So they have decided to remove themselves from the situation. And I want to just reaffirm to anyone listening, if that's you, your life is your life and it is okay. It's perfectly okay for you to make whatever decision is right for you. That's why, as we talk about it transformed um, at the retreat, it's so important to have a very clear grasp on your personal values Right. And and having that very clear compass, that very clear grasp of your personal values um, helps to make these kinds of decisions with much less anxiety or guilt, even when they're tough choices. I mean, there's really no good uh, or easy uh, option in many of these choices, and there is value and merit on, on all sides. But so to make those hard choices, really having that very crisp and clear understanding of your values is, is really, really helpful. And because there certainly are consequences or repercussions, those both kind of sound negative, but they're, they're not really. Um, choices all have outcomes, I would say, and those can be both good and bad. So in times of stress and uncertainty, like we're dealing with right now, here is a suggestion. One of the things that you can do around uh, these tough choices that you may have to make is to clearly articulate the outcomes, and then you can make choices around the outcomes. And the outcomes are your anticipated outcomes, right? It could go this way, it could go that way, it could go another way. I'll give you an example that's going to perhaps feel much more trivial as compared to the COVID crisis. And I think that's good, because that helps us to wrap our heads around things. So recently, in the scheduled detox challenge, uh, which I've posted about, and I'll put a link to here in the show notes, if you haven't done that, it's a five day um, scheduled detox. And it's all about sort of reclaiming your time your energy your autonomy and your boundaries but in any case as one of the activities one of the surgeons uh, who did the the challenge with us was resigning from a committee it was an important hospital committee related to accreditation Uh, it had been something that was a big win for her at the time that she first got put on it it was something that was important to her boss you know had all kinds of reasons for wanting to be on it she didn't want to be on it anymore um, all the details of which, you know, we won't get into on this podcast, but as she was, you know, trying to resign, she had that usual apprehension that many, many people do that she'll be somehow letting people down, that her colleagues will feel disappointment or even resentment or that she won't be able to because people will push back and try to renegotiate her, you know, back on um, and continue to sort of hijack and take ownership of her time. So she had all of this internal you know, predictions of what was going to happen when she finally uh, did, hit. you know, send the resigning, the resignation letter. And instead, the most remarkable thing happened. This was probably not something she would have listed as a potential outcome. But I hope if you're listening to this today, it will change for you how you list outcomes in the future. So instead of uh, having everyone express a lot of disappointment and frustration and, uh, you know, they had invested perhaps in the wrong person to even give her that opportunity or all these negative things we say to ourselves. What happened was the entire committee disbanded. They took a careful look at what they were doing and the fact that she was resigning from it caused them to pause and say, okay, you know, what? what is the void that we need to fill now? What's the work that we need to do? And of course, I wasn't in on this conversation, but whatever it was that they were reflecting on what they needed to do and how they were going to get her replaced, I guess it was sort of that spark that caused them to say, you know what, this committee isn't needed. It's duplicative of efforts with other committees and other people also do not necessarily need to be spending their time doing this. And so not only was she freed from that responsibility, but it turns out it had been, you know, also something that could have freed up a lot of other people from a responsibility that was just frankly not that impactful. So I doubt, uh, well, and she confirmed for me, but for you and in, in your um, decisions, I, you know, it's very rare that we think that when we're resigning from something, you know, we think we're going to be letting people down, leaving a big void, there's going to be work unfinished or work that's late or whatever, there's going to be a problem to fix. I, I had never thought before that the result of me resigning from a committee would be that the committee realized, yeah, you know what, we, we probably uh, aren't that much of a value add and maybe everybody could have a little bit of their time back. So sometimes the potential outcomes can surprise us. So again, that's a little bit trivial, but it does illustrate, I think, an, uh, sort of the uh, example of, of her sort of acting boldly and bravely and ending up being essentially a thought leader. She didn't propose that they get rid of all the committee's work, but uh, her actions and, and her ability to just be transparent, she wasn't saying she didn't have, didn't have time, couldn't find time, or, or had some other conflict. She was just saying that, you know, she wasn't going to be doing it anymore. And um, that, that's, I think, is thought leadership because it caused, apparently, full reconsideration of the committee and it gave other people their time back. What I'm seeing in a similar space here among healthcare leaders, healthcare uh, clinicians and physicians, is that when they're getting involved in political activities and petitions and social media postings, and they're taking their strong physician voices out there on in the media, in traditional media and social media and everywhere else, And they are raising the flag about insufficient testing and inadequate protective equipment and how this is a danger. And yes, they are human. And yes, they have families. And yes, they have uh, all kinds of reasons to personally care about not wanting to expose themselves, but also doing a service to the entire society by trying to slow that spread. Uh, Really, really remarkable that the CDC has changed those guidelines, because they know that they cannot function without that number of healthcare uh, professionals, and they know they don't have the masks to protect them, uh, you know, sufficiently. I just find that incredibly concerning, and the only couple of things that we perhaps can do, the only few choices that we have, are to really uh, speak out about it, continue to just show up, feel fearful, and feel out of control, or make the decision to just not participate in it, And I think only, you know, the speaking up and the decision to not participate are the ones that would likely affect some real change, change that would benefit all of society as a whole. And so because I've been talking about this, I've been getting some great comments um, through Facebook and and Twitter and direct messages with people who have made some really tough choices. And uh, one post that I saw that really kind of kicked off some of this curiosity for me about how people were handling it was from a physician who had had... Prior exposure to chemo and radiation, and was still feeling to some degree immune compromised, though not sick. And just said, you know, I just I don't want to put myself or my husband or my my kids through this. And uh, I'm not going to go to work. And had just asked, am I being am I being selfish? You know, am I like she was feeling so so guilty. And I was really heartened to see that you know the community seemed to come for support. To of course say, you're doing the right thing. You know, don't feel guilty um but also without judgment like she has a very very valid reason to you know feel like she doesn't she's at increased risk for example but even without that valid reason she has just as much of a valid reason just as a human being to not want to take that risk she doesn't need some special circumstance to want to live and to want to reduce transmission across society and to want to protect her family so I was really pleased to see that people saying the kinds of things, you know, only you can make the right decision for you. You know, we support you, you know, you're, because your life is your life and you're the only one who can make those decisions. And then I asked other people if, you know, if people would reach out to me and let me know if they decided to stop working. And I got a note uh, from a person whose name I'm not going to reveal. And she, she said, you know, I'm per DM. I usually work about 30 hours a week. I have got three small kids uh, all under the age of six. Um, one of them is an infant and my husband stays home with them. And I've decided not to go back to work until this has passed. Um, in, at her place of work, there's insufficient testing, insufficient uh, protective equipment, administrators to say making decisions about who and how you know they use the the personal protective equipment um, that is not the way that it's necessary. And she says, which I just loved, I made promises to my husband when I married him. And I made promises to my kids that I would be there for them when I had them. I won't jeopardize their lives because some administrator is concerned about the bottom line and not the safety of all involved. I cannot, with good conscience, put them at that risk and make that decision for them. I thought that was incredible. And you know what I want to also mention, because she and I went on to have a little bit more of a conversation around this. You know, so many people, back to how we opened this podcast, would say, well, I can't do that. And she just said, she's got three kids. They're young. She has a stay-at-home husband. Uh, They are not independently wealthy or have any other type of sort of special circumstance beyond what the rest of us have. So this is not an easy decision for her. She didn't say that she had resigned completely. She just said that she had decided not to go to work until this was over. It's not known exactly how her employer is going to respond to this. It's not known exactly whether she, you know, is her job in jeopardy, how are her relationships at work and so forth. But she has really clear value that was articulated there in her message to me about why she's making the choice she's making. And it's not an easy choice to make. And So I really felt like that was important to include on this podcast because it's it's sort of human nature. I think we often think that when another person is making a choice that we feel slightly envious of or that we wish we could make, but we turn internally and we say, I can't do that for myself. I could never make that choice. We seem to assume that other people have some mitigating circumstance that makes it easy. But I, I listened to this story and I think... That is that is uniquely difficult. I mean, it's just, it's it's certainly no easier than for any of the rest of us. Um, and it, it perhaps even errs on the side of being more difficult than for most people. But in any case, she's making the right decision. And this always makes me think, finally, sort of my, my closing thought is, you know, when you think about those memes probably everyone has seen on the internet where it says, you know, don't kill yourself for a job that will have your um, replacement job slot posted before your obituary is online. Um, I mean, that's maybe a little bit of crude humor, but it, it's true, right? We all often have deep respect and good relationships with our actual co-workers. But when you think about the healthcare industry as sort of the big machine that it is, uh, there is, there's, it becomes very clear, like, why would I prioritize wrong decisions being made in by that sort of big machine as compared to personal commitments I have to my family, to my community, right? And, and, you know, the responsibility I have as a physician leader to do the right thing. So anyway, I'm really hopeful that by the time this is published, again, it's several days from now, and my hope is that we will have seen this evolve considerably. Um, And if not, I hope that this is uh, good food for thought for anybody who is still working in some sketchy circumstances where you really start to think of this as something that you could influence if you did something beyond uh, beyond just sort of accepting what is unsafe. Because you're, as physician leaders, the the ones who are going to be able to mold that space and have influence in that space, which is the right thing to do, not only for you, but for everybody. And I also hope this podcast has been helpful for you in thinking about Other types of decisions, perhaps more trivial decisions, perhaps when things settle down and you're making different career or personal decisions, you can think back to the person who rolled off the committee and then the committee ended up being disbanded or think of just some different ways uh, to consider the outcomes and to consider your own autonomy. Um, So one of the best ways to manage that sort of fear and anxiety is to understand the degree to which you do indeed have power and choice All choices involve some outcomes. Some of those outcomes may not be pleasant, but you're the one who will have to weigh in the balance uh, whether or not a certain choice to kind of carry on with the status quo that's being asked of you versus a choice to disrupt it, which one is right for you and which one is the right thing to do just from from a broader, perhaps more ethical perspective. That's it for this episode. I hope on the next episode we can have something more lighthearted, uh, but I will continue to focus on things that are both important for your career, for your well-being, and that are also timely. So take care of yourselves and take care of each other. Thanks for joining me on this episode of The Career Prescription. Be sure to leave me a review on Apple podcasts or whatever podcast player you're using to listen today and definitely send me those questions so I can answer them and give you a shout out on a future episode. Bye for now.